been uh, doing a series about passion. And we noted that uh, Jesus in Matthew 24 said that in the last days the love of many would grow cold. Last week we looked at what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea and he told them to be zealous and repent. And so I don't know about you, but my heart is to be passionate, to be passionate for the Lord. And I want us to look today about at the life of Abraham and what happens when someone has a passionate faith for God. And Abraham certainly is a man that had passionate faith for God. And I think we can see some truths contained in this scripture that will encourage us, that will challenge us. And that will show us what God desires to do in our own lives as we have passion for Him. Turn with me to Exodus, or uh, Genesis, excuse me. Genesis chapter uh, 11 and verse 27. I want to begin there. Now, the, the Apostle Paul tells us something that's important about Abraham. Paul, in writing his letter to the Roman church, in chapter 4, verse 16, He's talking about Abraham being justified by faith. People ask me all the time, well, how were people saved in the Old Testament if Jesus hadn't come and sacrificed himself for us yet? Well, Abraham was justified by faith, just like we are. It's God's grace, right? It's our faith. And and Abraham was looking forward to what God was going to do just like we look backwards to what Jesus did on the cross. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. Abraham is our father, our spiritual father. We are the seed of Abraham spiritually. And Paul is talking about that there, and he says that Abraham is a prototype. He's an example of a man who has passionate faith for God and that God challenges us to walk in the steps of our father Abraham. Amen? So let's look at Genesis, and I want to look at the life of Abraham today. I want us to begin in chapter 11, verse 27, because Terah, Abraham's father, is mentioned here, and there's an important lesson I want us to see. Look at verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of Chaldeans. Then Abram and Naor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Naor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, and the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. 
And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. What I want us to see here is that God moved on the heart of Abraham's father, Terah. And Terah led his family out of the Ur of Chaldeans. And what we see here is important because God was leading them in ancient, it doesn't say it in the text here, but ancient Jewish writings speak of God stirring Terah's heart to go to the land of Canaan, not just Abram or Abraham. And so we see a man who starts the journey of faith. He, he starts out obedient to God, but he never reaches Canaan. He stops in Haran, and we're not told why he stopped there. It was a, a flourishing city. Maybe there was good business opportunities. Uh, we're not told, but we do know that they worshipped idols, that it wasn't a godly city. And he stops there, and he never enters into the fullness of what God had for him. And the message there is, church, that someone who has a passion, we see Abram, Abram after his father dies, look at verse 1 in chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So we see that Abram received that call as well, and Abraham responded, and he didn't stay in Haran. And church, uh, someone who's passionate in their faith for God will not stop and get stuck. They want to go forward and accomplish everything God has for them. Amen? I don't know about you, but I don't want to live and die in Haran when God has a Canaan land for me. Amen? So when we're passionate about what God has for us and we're obedient and we trust him, he's going to lead us into our Canaan land. So I don't want to get stuck. Everybody turn to somebody and tell them, I don't want to get stuck. <laughs> Amen? That's the way it is with our church. That's how I feel about our church. Lord, I don't want to get stuck. I want to go forward. Not just in my life, in my family. I want to go forward and experience all that God has for us as a church. Let's look at uh, what Paul said on this subject. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is another example of a passionate faith for God. And he says at the end of his life, he knew that it was, he was just coming to the last moments of his life. And he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. I was talking to a, a senior pastor here in our, he was a senior missionary for years and pastor and he said, Mitch, the one prayer that's constantly on my heart today, he said, I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. And I'm reminded of Pastor Riley. and His heart was the same. Amen? Those of you who do not know Pastor Paul and Pastor Helen, Pastor Helen's still here with us today. Pastor Paul passed away a few years ago. 
But you know what? The Sunday before he went to be with Jesus, he was standing right here and he was praying for people at the altar. He was a man that continued to minister in the prisons, in the jails, wherever the Lord would, would allow him to go and lead him. He was a man who finished strong. And that, that example, another man who, who's finishing strong and has passionate faith is, is, is Pastor Don. Pastor Don, a lot of pastors you know, they get, get up in years, they, they may not be pastoring a church any longer, and they'll just kind of retire and sit back. Dr. Don is always looking. He goes to Teen Challenge and preaches. He goes to the Dream Center and preaches. He goes to the prisons and the jails. He continues. Church, I want to finish strong. How about you? I don't want to stop halfway. I want to go all the way. Next in this passage, look at, at uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Later, God changes his name to Abraham. So if I call him Abraham, you'll know why. He, God tells him, get out of your country. Get out of your country. And he's referring to the Ur of the Chaldeans. The Ur of the Chaldeans was a wealthy city. The artifacts that they have found, discovered in the archaeological digs are, are amazing. They, they had skilled artisans and they, they created things that were they're very, very ornate and very beautiful, very costly. Most Bible scholars believe that Abraham was a very wealthy man. One commentary I, I was reading said he, be, he believed that Abraham lived in, in what would have been a mansion in that day. But, it, but even if he didn't have a mansion, we do know that he was of an upper class. He was wealthy and he was, he was a free man. And he had servants. And, and what, what is God calling here, him away from here? And Abraham is called away from the things that were familiar to him, the things that, that would have been comforting to him. It would have been similar, church, to God calling us to leave our homes in Wasilla or the valley and God calling us to take a, a tent and go wander through the bush of Alaska for the rest of our lives. It would have been very similar to that. And yet, Abraham said, yes, Lord, I'll leave the comfort of my home. I'll leave all of my possessions. He couldn't take everything with him. And he went, and he didn't know where he was going. But he said, yes, Lord, that's passion, that's faith, that's trusting God, knowing that God has something better for you. And we see that heart in Abraham. I love that. We, we also uh, know that Abram or Abraham didn't always know the Lord. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, Joshua uh, uh, writes this, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods. They served other gods. They were caught up in idolatry. They didn't know the Lord. And then God speaks to him. God calls him. And he answers. Can you remember with me the day that God spoke to your heart and you knew that this was real, this was genuine, that God had a plan for your life and you said yes to him? 
That's the picture of Abraham. Now look at what else it says in verse 1. God says, get out of your country, then from your family. And that sounds kind of strange to us. But how many realize sometimes our family can hinder us from what God wants to do? Sometimes our family isn't encouraging in the things of God. Sometimes they're against us following God's plan, especially if you're like Abram and you, you uh, ha- have a call of God and it doesn't make much sense to us uh, in our human understanding. You know, imagine his other family members around there, aunts and uncles or cousins, whoever, and he says, we're, we're going somewhere, God's just going to direct us and we're, we're leaving all of these things and leaving uh, the money, the wealth, the jobs, or whatever they have, we're leaving it all. We're going to go to, we're going to go to Sportsman's Warehouse, and we're going to get a, a tent, and we're going to get a few things, and we're going to head out into the bush, and we're going to wander around until God shows us where He wants us. <laughs> you can tell our outdoorsman over there, Rob. But that's Abram is willing to give that up. He's willing to give all that up and say, yes, that's where I'm going. Now, how many of his family members probably said, you're nuts? I remember when Melinda and I started telling our friends and family we were going to Alaska. They said, you're nuts. You're going to live in an igloo. When I first told Melinda God called us to go to Alaska, she said, I don't think so. Said, you just want to go to Alaska to hunt and fish. So sometimes our family can hinder us, and God was calling him out from anything that would hinder him from being passionate in his faith and from accomplishing what God had for him. Next, it says in, in verse 1: get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. That's the place that normally we feel most secure. We, most of us, if we've had a good family experience, our parents, relationship there, we love to go home because it's a place of security. It's a place of comfort. I know that our grandkids, they love to come back and see Grammy and Big Paul. They, they feel at home and they just trash the house because they know it's theirs. But there's, there's security there, there's love, there's concern. And yet, and yet God's calling him out from his family's house. Because he wants us to understand our security isn't in anything else but him. Jesus said this in John 10, 29. He said, my father who has given them, speaking of us believers, to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. When we're passionate for God, we have that relationship, we're living for for Him. We are in the palm of God's hand. And no one, including all the powers of hell, are able to snatch us out of the Father's hand. Amen? That's where our security is. It's in Him. It's in that relationship. In verse 2, God gives him a promise. He says, I will make you a great nation. Now, how does that relate to us? We understand that God was promising Abraham that he's going to have descendants, that they're going to be like the stars in the heaven and the sands on the seashore. And God did that. 
We have the Jewish nation. We have the Arab nations. All descendants of Abraham today. And we cannot count them because there's so many and so vast. As soon as you would try to count them, hundreds of others would have been born. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. But how does that relate to us today? How can God make us a great nation? Well, that, that verse speaks of multiplying life. That God multiplies life. He enriches our lives in so many ways. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes not before to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundant. Amen? That's enriching. That's making that life multiplication through us and in us. And when we're loving Jesus and we're passionate, we can rest assured that God is going to give us life more abundant. The word there in the Greek, perisos, means exceedingly above. The greatest abundance over and above. That's what it means in the original language. That's the life that Jesus paid the price on the cross for every one of us to have. Now when you think about that, you may be thinking about, oh, God's going to give me a Mercedes and a Porsche and a big mansion. You think that is abundance. Church, that's not abundance. That's material things. And God doesn't care if we have material things. He blesses us materially. But God's talking about his life in us and his life flowing through us and his life ministering through us. That's abundant life in Jesus. Amen? Then God says, I will bless you. I love that. We serve a God that blesses us. His heart is to bless us. He wants to bless you in every way. We see that Abram, at this time, we see that he was a man that understood the heart of God and he responded to God's heart. God had blessed him. Jump over a couple of pages to chapter 14, verse 18. I want to show you another encounter where God is blessing Abraham. He has an encounter with Melchizedek, the king of Salem, in verse 18. And he brought bread out and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Abraham got it. And if we are passionate for God, we'll get it too. God has a heart to give. And if God is pouring out and living in us and ministering to us and through us, we'll be like God and we'll have a heart to give. This was hundreds of years before the law. This is the first mention of tithing in Scripture. And it's from a man that God says is our prototype. And he is a giver. He gives back a portion of what God blessed him with. Verse 21 now says, Now the king of Sodom, 
who he just rescued and rescued the people, Abram did, said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So he understands. Abram is saying there that, He understands the God who created heaven and earth is the same God who blesses me. Amen. And and this is also the first time in Scripture that it's mentioned raising your hand to the Lord. Abram raised his hand to the Lord. What is he saying there? He's saying, King of Sodom, I am acknowledging the King of all kings who blesses me and you're not going to say that you made me rich because God in heaven is my provider. He's saying, I am on the Lord's side and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him. And the same thing today, when we lift our hands to heaven, church, we are saying we believe in the God of heavens, the creator of all things. We believe in him, and we're on his side, and he's the one that blesses us. He's the one that blesses us. I love that. Abraham understood, and he gave from a heart and a passionate love for God. I had a friend this week, Pastor Kim in Wrangell. I've known, we were roommates in Bible school, and he pastors in Wrangell now, and, and uh, we pastored in Wrangell together for a while, and it was a lot of fun. Well, he came up for our conference this week, and he was telling me a story that happened to him this past week or two. He said, he said one, of the, one of the deacons came up to me, and one of the deacons was concerned about the offering. And he said, well, what, what, what happened? And he said, well, this little, little girl took an envelope uh, and she put it into the offering. And I really didn't think anything about it. But I don't know if her mother knew. And, and he said, when I got back to count the offering... I was astonished because this little girl had put $4,000 into the offering. Pastor Kim, his ears perked up. His eyes got wide. Praise God. The church can use that. But then he said, I don't know if her mother knows that she took that envelope and put it in the offering. Pastor Kim said, okay, I'll have to call her mother and make sure she knew that. So he called the mom up and he said, you know, this is kind of awkward for me. And, and you know, forgive me if I, I'm not trying to be nosy or anything. But one of the deacons came and said that your little girl put an envelope in the offering and it contained a large amount of money. And I just wanted to make sure that, that you knew that. And she goes, oh, yes, I gave it to her because I wanted to teach her the importance of tithing and giving back to God. And Pastor Kim shouted hallelujah. (laughs) But church, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 
our heart follows what we invest in this life. And you know we don't say a lot about tithing from the pulpit. I'm thankful. Aren't you glad Pastor Todd's back today? He does a great job in, in his short little devotion on tithing every week. But church, uh, I'll tell you right now, a passionate Christian that loves God will love to give because he's got the heart of God and God loves to give and bless. Amen? Let's go on. Next in verse 2, God tells Abram, and make your name great. A passionate person for God, God will make their name great. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Am I going to have fame? Is my name going to be up in lights? No, it's talking about God says, I'm going to give you a reputation of godliness that people are going to know that you are sold out to me, that you're passionate about me, and that my hand is upon you, that I'm working in your life. It's going to be evident that I'm blessing you, that you're living a life under the hand of Almighty God's blessing. Amen? And God wants to do that for all of us. He wants us to have a reputation that we're sold out for Him and that we're one of His children and that he, His hand is, a blessing, is upon us and He's blessing us. In James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Next in verse 2, it says, And you shall be a blessing. Church, one of the main reasons that I want to keep that fire in my life, that passion for God, have Him working in my life and pursuing Him, is because I desire to be a blessing to others. And I know I'm in God's will when I'm blessing others. When I'm not blessing others, when my life isn't a blessing, I need to check because I'm not in God's will. I need to make sure that I've got that passionate relationship with God because I want to bless those around me. Next in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Notice it's, it's multiple people that can bless, but it's singular when, when God says, I will curse him who curses you. All curses originate from the devil, from the enemy. He is the one that wants to curse and come against us. But all of us can join in in being a blessing and blessing others. And God's going to protect us from that. He says he's going to protect us from, from the enemy who comes to try to curse us and, and hinder us. Then he says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What does he mean by that? Well, Abraham, obviously, he was talking about the coming of the Messiah in his lineage and that Jesus, the Messiah, would be the blessing for the world. Amen? All the families of the world are blessed in Jesus. But there's a message there for us, too. Don't hinder what God, in your mind, in your understanding, at what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Are you with me? Yes. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him, our Lord, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's the Holy Spirit's power working in our lives. 
And he says, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. I want you to, to think right now, what dreams has God given you? How can you imagine God working in your life? I can imagine all of us being passionate for Jesus, sharing Jesus with our community, praying for people, seeing God move in powerful ways. Amen? I can see him exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I can see, picture our church filled, not just downstairs, but in the balcony filled with people that are hungry for God, that want to live for Jesus, that want to experience his presence and his power and his glory in their lives. Amen. I can dream big dreams and God says, I can do even more. Amen. I can picture revival sweeping in every church that preaches Jesus in this valley. I can picture a revival moving in the valley that begins to sweep out where people are traveling from Wasilla in the valley and they're going out to the villages and taking the love and the life of Jesus to the bush. I can dream big dreams and you can bring, dream big dreams and God says, I can do even more than that. So he challenges us, passionate people, dream big dreams. Amen? Look at verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Church, we're never too old for God to do amazing things through our lives. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Church, when we're passionate in our faith for God, and we're living for Him and walking in His ways, it doesn't just affect our lives it affects all those that God's given us influence with. Think about this. If Abram had been like his father and hadn't been obedient to what God called him to do, not only would have Abram missed out of the promised land of Canaan, but so would all his wife, his family, his servants, everyone that he had authority over, influence with, all of them would have missed out and what God had for them. Church, I want to stay passionate for God because I don't want any of my family, any of my friends, any of the people that God's given me influence with to miss out on Canaan land. Amen? So let's continue to be passionate. In verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham was an altar builder. And church, if we're passionate about God, we will be altar builders. Most of our churches today no longer have ornate altars. You can still go to some churches 
that were built years ago, and they'll have a rail with a kneeling pad on both sides, and it's an altar. It's a place to come and pray. But church, Abram didn't have a church and a church altar, but he built an altar. In those days, they would stack rocks upon one another, and the rocks, when they were stacked, would be a place that he would kneel down. And then it was, most, it was very common for them to take water and pour water out upon the altar, or, or our oil. And that was symbolic of a pouring out of themselves. It was symbolic of a total surrender to what the Lord wanted in their lives. And that's, that's a picture of Abraham. A passionate pi- a picture, person a, that has passionate faith for God will come to the Lord and build an altar right here in their heart, in their life, and say, Lord, I am poured out to you. I am surrendered to you. Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I give you permission to do it. I'm sold out for you. Lord, I'm poured out. The altar is a place of spiritual exchange. Everybody say that. Spiritual exchange. God had given him great promises. And it was at the altar that he surrenders everything to God and says, God, I don't want the things I have. I want what you have for me. It's at the altar that we bring our brokenness and our wounds and our hurts. And we say, Lord, I give you these things. And it's at the altar. God takes those things and exchanges it for spiritual wholeness, spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing. That God ministers His love to us. Several years ago, Melinda and I were visiting someone and they, uh, they were Christians, they attended another church, but I was talking to the, the, to the husband and uh, outside, and we were just talking, and he said, you're Assembly of God, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he said, well, one thing that I really struggle with is you have altar calls. And he said, I don't see altar calls in the Scripture. And I looked at him like, When was the last time you read the Word? But he, he really had an attitude about it, and he, he was almost mocking churches that had altars. And it was very sad, and I didn't want to get into a confrontation with them. I didn't want to go there, so I didn't say much. You know, I didn't say much about it. But I was thinking, thank God for the altar. Amen. It's not about a physical bench here or a rail to kneel down at, but it's a, when we come forward or we come to pray at the back or the front, we're coming to the altar. We're saying, Lord, I want to come to you with the hurts, the pain, my needs. I want to give those things to you, and I want to receive the promises of God for my life. And that's what Abram did. He was a passionate man of faith, and he built an altar everywhere he went. And the altar, when he would finish building it, church, he wouldn't, after he prayed, he wouldn't take the stones, and he wouldn't set them back where they were. 
the altar remained. And everywhere that God took him, he would build another altar. And it was a constant reminder, this is where I met God. This is where I surrendered again totally to the Lord. His will, His way for my life. This is where I brought the hurts and the pain and the wound. And God took those things from my life. It was at the altar. So church, an altar is still a good thing. But the altar is in your heart. I'm not saying you can't find an altar and kneel down at it. God bless you, that's awesome. I had a friend that built an altar in his home. They had a a little room about the size of a closet, and it had a kneeling bench, and it had his Bible there, and he would, every morning, he would go, and he would kneel down before the Lord at that altar, and he would pray, pray and just spend time in the Word and spend time with Jesus. I'm not saying that's, that's wrong, but I'm saying you can have an altar anywhere you are with Jesus. Be an altar builder. Be passionate to come into the presence of God totally surrendered and saying, Lord, I'm bringing what is going on in my life and I want to exchange it for what you want to go on in my life. Amen? That's being passionate in your faith. That's trusting in the Lord. And finally, I want to end with this. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have the Hall of Faith's famous people. (laughs) And it talks about Abraham. In verse 8 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed. People who have passionate faith are ready and willing and always want to obey the Lord. When he is called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac, Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. (laughs) A passionate Christian will always have the mindset that this world isn't all there is. That one day we're going to God's city, whose builder and maker is God. Amen? I'm passionate about heaven. I can't wait. I can't wait to have the new body. How many agree with me there? You know, a lot of theologians think that we'll look like we did when we were about 33, when Jesus went to the cross. And I say, bring it on. How many of us older folks would like to have the strength and the energy and the looks you did at 33? (laughs) But church, we go through this life with a passion for Jesus, and we know that this world is not our home. We're a wanderer just like Abraham. 
Just like his descendants at that time, they were wandering around. This, this is the land God's giving you. But we know that we're headed for a city. We're headed for a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. I want you to stand with me. I want to ask the worship team to come.